You may be seated. Well, as Tanya said, it is great to have you here this morning. If you are new with us, I want you to know that this is a safe place for you to come and ask questions and just to get to know a few other people and just kind of learn a little bit more about Jesus as we all kind of walk through this thing together of what it means to actually look like a follower of Christ. So my name is Chris, for those of you who don't know me, and I actually work in the children's ministry, and I get to be in here this morning. But I thought in order, for those of you that don't know me, to get a little bit of insight into me, I would share a story with you. It goes kind of like this. Um, A long time ago, in what seemed like a blink of an eye, I was a teenager. And as normal teenagers do, I was going through all of the hormonal surges and the pendulum swings of emotions back and forth, you know, and the brain wasn't quite completely all rational and thinking logically yet. And did you know, for example, scientifically now they're saying that the human brain is not fully matured, logically speaking, until 26. Nowhere near our teenage years. I mean, we used to think as teenagers they were little adults and they could rationalize everything. Not the case anymore. This will be an important fact for you to remember later. So one day when I was in my teenage years, I was home alone with my sister, who was also a teenager. My folks seemed to think that was okay because, you know, teenagers can take care of themselves. And she and I were fighting as we normally do. And to this day, I can't tell you what we were fighting about. I just know that we were fighting. And what you have to realize is that fighting in our house were verbal altercations. We didn't have any brothers, and so it was just the two of us girls. My father was outweighed by estrogen, and so our fights were not physical. We didn't take anybody down. We just had the verbal altercations back and forth. And so this day when our fight was going, we were in the kitchen, and I was sitting at the counter, and my sister was across the kitchen in front of the pantry door. And whatever we were fighting about, it escalated and escalated and escalated until I got mad enough that I just couldn't stand it anymore. I picked up the butter knife next to me and I threw it across the room at her. Remember, brains are not developed fully until 26. Okay? I did not obviously think through the logical side of what might happen should you throw a knife at another person. Thankfully, she was not hurt. But what did happen was the knife got embedded into the door right beside her head. End first. Butter knife. Yeah. That's what she and I did as well. (gasps) Which proceeded with her going, I'm telling mom and dad! And running out of the room and me yelling after her, you better not! Because I knew, I knew if it got back to my mom and dad what had just happened, I was in serious, serious trouble. So, as you can see, things are okay now. I'm a grown adult. I know some of you are a little bit worried right now, saying I work in children's ministry. Your kids are fine. They're good. Don't worry. I will let you know, full disclosure, that was the first and last time I have ever thrown a knife. All is fine. But we are in the middle of our series of emoticons, and today, in case you can't tell, we're talking about anger, something which you can see I have a little bit of experience with. And I will tell you up front that this is something that has been a little of a lifelong companion with me. So as we share today, I want you to know that we're sharing together. It's not just me pouring out on you. It's actually walking the walk with you as well. So what I want us to do today is look at anger from a different perspective. Because I can give you all kinds of statistics about anger. I can tell you about it. I can give you examples. But all you have to do in order to get that is turn on the news. Tons of examples about what anger is like in our world today. So instead, what I want us to do is I want us to look at anger from a couple different perspectives. One's going to be God's anger. It's righteous. It's holy. He's a loving God. 
The second one is going to be from our mankind or human anger, which is sinful. So we're going to call the two God's anger and man's anger today just for our own understanding and our own wrapping our minds around it. So what I want you to do is get this definition into your head. It's from Baker's Evangelical Dictionary. It says, Anger is a strong emotional reaction to displeasure, often leading to plans for revenge or punishment. A strong emotional reaction. Now, I'm sure all of you in here have had some moment of anger in your life, be it small or large. We don't get away from it, right? Anger impacts all of us. But it's a strong emotional displeasure. Now, I can guarantee you my sister probably was thinking of revenge and punishment after our incident, but I have no idea what actually came of it. And the amazing thing is, as I brought it up and was talking with her not that long ago, she doesn't even remember it. tell you that's a God thing right there, people. This morning, as we look at anger, like I said, we're doing God's anger and our anger. And I want to start with God's anger first. Because oftentimes, when we say God... You come to church and other places and you hear God is loving and God is holy and God is righteous and he stands for justice. And then we throw that word anger in there and kind of go, um, that doesn't quite fit. Uh, It doesn't quite jive together right. Because most of the times when we're angry, we're not kind and loving. So what we're going to do is we're going to look at God's perspective of anger and how he actually created it to be. So we're going to start by looking at Psalm 86:15, And it's going to give us a definition of God. It says, You, O Lord, are a God of compassion and mercy, slow to get angry, and filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. There's several things in here that we're going to point out and we're going to pull out and look at. But look at that. God is compassionate, and he's merciful, and he's slow to get angry. And he's filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. It's the full package. Even though we don't understand it, this is who God is. Because you see, when God gets angry in the Bible, it's because people are sinning. And what I mean by sinning is they're doing things to push themselves or others away from him. Because God is a God that wants us to know him more and to be in a relationship And what sin does is it pushes us away. And so God's anger comes about when there's some type of injustice or people are intentionally sinning. And the first thing that we notice in there that stands out for me is that God is slow to get angry. God wants to give us a chance as humans. His desire is for us to know him and to know his deep love for us. And so he is slow to get angry. It takes quite a bit, in fact. But one of the ways we can see this is through an example in the Bible. It happens in the city called Nineveh. And in Nineveh, it's a city of about 120,000 people. And they're just going off and doing their own thing. They are making idols. They're worshiping them. They are doing things as a community that are just uncomprehensible to God. They're using their bodies in ways that are defilements. And they're just kind of gone off the deep end. They want nothing to do with God and his ways. So what God says is, this has gone on long enough, given warnings, given chances to change. These people aren't changing. And what they're doing is driving people away from me by their words and their actions. And we can't have that anymore. So God says, this is what we're going to do. We're going to destroy them, the entire city. Everyone within the city, all of the animals are going to be destroyed. So what he does is he goes to a prophet by the name of Jonah. 
And Jonah's job is to relay God's message to the people. Simply all the title prophet means right now. So God goes and gives Jonah this message that he's going to destroy the city and the people. And Jonah says, I'm God. Nope, I don't want to do this. And so what he does is he runs away. Now, the name Jonah may be kind of familiar. If you've ever heard of Jonah and the whale, Jonah and the big fish, it's the same Jonah. In fact, that happens because Jonah is running away from God. God has told him this message he needs to deliver to the people because God wants to bring them back to himself. And Jonah says, nope, I don't want to have anything to do with this. And he starts running away. He gets on a ship, and because he's running away from God, God creates this huge storm, and everybody on the ship is like, who's sinning? Who's doing what? What's causing this great storm? And eventually they find out Jonah's running away from God. And they're like, okay, you're the problem. So they try to get back to shore even faster, and God makes it even worse. And finally Jonah, he's like, just throw me overboard. It'll calm Everything down, God will be fine then, throw me overboard. And so these people are like, God, please, you know, we're going to throw this man overboard, but don't take it out on us. They chuck him overboard, and he ends up in the belly of a big fish. So he's in this fish, and the reason that this has to happen is it gives him time to realize what he's doing, which is running away from God, and to change his mind and actually follow through on what he's been asked to do. So he gets out of the fish. Jonah goes to the city of Nineveh, and he starts telling them the message of God. You're all going to be destroyed. How would you like to be that messenger? It's probably not the happiest day of his life. Hey, guess what? I'm here to tell all of you you're going to be dead soon. Don't worry. Have fun. See you later. Right? So Jonah's in there. He's declaring this message. It starts spreading throughout, and ultimately gets up to the king. And the king says, oh, my gosh, we're done. God is going to destroy us. What are we going to do? And so he says, okay, everybody, stop your sinning. Stop your evil. Stop everything that you're doing that is against God and his laws. I want you to ask for forgiveness, and I want you to change your evil ways. And what I want you to hear is his actual words that he finishes up by saying. And this is in Jonah chapter 3, verse 9. The king says, who can tell? Perhaps even yet God will change his mind and hold back his fierce anger from destroying us. So in this moment where he's been told destruction is coming your way, death is coming, because you have been so horrible to God, the king says, maybe yet, perhaps there is that little chance of hope. And so we know that God has a chance to respond two ways. He can follow through and he can destroy everything because he's given these people chance after chance and he's told them and they haven't changed and they're pushing people away from him. Or he can give in and not do it. Now, I don't know about you, but I know that when I get angry, when I am pushed to that point where it's like, I'm done, I am so done with whatever you're doing right now, that would be me speaking to my children, done, stop, right? Consequence. I don't want to relent. I don't want to back off in my anger because they deserve it. They have pushed and pushed and pushed. We're done. This is the point we're at with God. So I want you to see what God's response back to them is. In the next verse, it says, When God saw what they had done and how they had put a stop to their evil ways, he changed his mind and did not carry out the destruction he had threatened. God changed his mind. 
He did not follow through on what was deserved for these people. That's called mercy. God is merciful. So in this situation, these people have now had a chance to change their actions and to change where their focus is from all of the evil and sinful things they had been doing to God. And because they made that change, God has said, okay, I won't destroy you. You have another chance. God is loving. The second point is that God's anger brings about heart change. God cared so much for the city of Nineveh, which was only 120,000 people, that he used his anger for heart change. It was more important for him that these people change what they were doing so that he had a chance to have a relationship with them than it was to care about Jonah's feelings. Because let me tell you, after this had happened, Jonah was angry at God. He was mad. He was like, God, I ran away in the first place because you're, you're a loving God. You're kind and you're compassionate. And then I knew this was going to happen. He says, I went and told all these people that they're going to die because you told me to tell them that. And now look at what happened. They're not dying. Come on, God. Follow through. And God says to him, what's more important? Is it more important for you to be right in what you told them? Or is it more important for them to have the chance to change what they're doing so that I can have a relationship with them. And so God's anger is used to bring about heart change and to pull us closer to himself. The last thing with God's anger is that it comes from his love for us. God cares so much about us that he's willing to use anger to draw us closer to him. But what we also have to remember is God is not punishing us. God is not getting revenge and trying to be angry towards us. God has a loving heart. And so if we choose to ignore him in the different ways he tries to reach out and connect with us, and the only thing that's left is anger, he will righteously use it to draw people closer to himself. Nineveh was changed because of God's love for them. When we see the good that's around us in the world, that's a reflection of God. When we see the bad... We have one of two ways of thinking is as humans. Either God doesn't love me and doesn't care about me, or God just isn't there. But that's not true. Just as much as we see the good from God, in the bad, he's there with us as well. So when we're experiencing the different things that life brings us that are difficult and hurtful and painful, God's walking with us. He's not abandoning us. God is holding us when we're not able to walk through on our own. When it feels like the weight is too much and too heavy, God says, I am here if you let me be with you. We can't understand as humans because we're not perfect like God. And that's a hard one sometimes for us to accept. We're not perfect. We're not going to be until we get to be in heaven with Jesus. Joyce Myers tells us this, who's a Christian author. Anger is an emotion often characterized by feelings of great displeasure, indignation, hostility, wrath, and vengeance. Many times, reacting in anger is how we express our dissatisfaction with life. I want you to think about it for a moment. How many of you have had a wonderful day as you're going about and you're like, I am just so angry right now? You guys don't experience that? You're not like all joyful and anger's right in there with it? 
Oh, I'm disappointed. No, seriously. We don't experience joy and anger at the same time most of the times. And as humans, it's a universal emotion. We all have it. We all get angry. But what I want you to stop and think about is what is your anger like? So for just a minute, stop and think back to the last couple of times you've gotten angry. For some of you, it may have been on the car right here. Some of you, it may have been a little bit longer ago. But get into your minds the last couple of times you were angry. Let me ask you, was it righteous anger? Was it slow in coming? Was it from a heart of wanting change to draw people closer to God? Was it from a loving condition that it happened? I don't know about you, but most of the time when I'm angry, those things don't happen. I'm not feeling warm and fuzzy. I'm not loving. I'm not like, oh, let's group hug and get this anger out. Mm, That's not me. But what I want to know is if you experience your anger like this video that we're going to watch. Welcome. Riley, if you don't eat your dinner, you're not going to get any dessert. Wait, did he just say we couldn't have dessert? That's anger. Cares very deeply about things being fake. So that's how you want to play it, old man? No dessert? Oh, sure. We'll eat our dinner right after you eat this. Ah! Right, right. Here comes an airplane. Ah! Oh, airplane. We got an airplane, everybody. <laughs> Anybody else identify with that clip? I'm going to say, even as adults, sometimes I identify with that clip. You know, I go from zero to, like, explosive in three seconds, and then, (sighs) let me ask you, any of you able to uh, reach the level of explosions and be able to just shut it down? Ooh, airplane, like he is. I can tell you I can't, and that's difficult sometimes because anger builds. And I don't know about you, but it would be nice if I could just shut it off sometimes. But that's not always the case. The examples you thought of a few minutes ago, any of you have the desire to include some revenge or some punishment in there? I don't know about you, but one of my chronic, like, grinding things is when I'm trying to get my kids ready for school and out the door to the school bus on time. And I kid you not, this happens every single morning. It's a little bit like Groundhog's Day. You'd think we would have this down by now. You know, we're halfway through the school year. But every single morning, it's the same routine. It's get up, get dressed, eat some breakfast, brush your teeth, put your socks and shoes on, get your backpack and coat, and head out the door. Not a difficult routine, right? I mean, there's like six steps in there. But I kid you not, every morning, we wake them up, they start getting ready, and pretty soon it's, okay, 10 minutes to the bus. You know, and that's kind of the clue. Hmm, start wrapping things up, get your shoes on. Uh, no. For my children, that means continue doing whatever you're doing that is not what you're supposed to be doing. And so we get a little bit closer, and it's like, okay, it's five minutes. We need to go. Come on, get down here. Get your shoes on. Get your backpacks. Let's go. And that's about the time it usually begins. I can't find my shoes. I can't find my backpack. Oh, you didn't sign my book. Mom, I can't find my homework. And I'm like, seriously, three minutes. Get your stuff on. But, Mom, I still haven't brushed my teeth, which I asked seven minutes ago for them to do. But, Mom, I'm like, seriously, get your stuff. We're going to miss the bus. Let's go. Two minutes. Get your shoes on. Okay, they will be sitting next to their shoes, and the shoes are not on. 
Seriously, get your shoes on. We're going to be late. Let's go. Come on. We have to get out of here now. You're going to miss the bus. Let's go. Any of you experience anything like that? <laughs> Boss started to think maybe I was the only one. Seriously, every morning. Here's the problem. I know it's not right. I know that's not how I want to treat my children every morning. I want to send my children off in a good mood, happy to enjoy their day in school and all that it brings. But what I'm doing is I'm pushing and I'm yelling and I'm pushing and I'm yelling just to get them out the door. And you know who it makes angry? Me. Not them. Because by the time we get down to the bus, and I'm still angry, the bus is coming, because they're like, hi, my mom. (laughs) Get on the bus. Like, seriously? Seriously? Seriously. After 10 minutes of this, all right, fine, go. Because here's the truth of the matter. What I wanted was for them to take off and have a great day and everything to go smoothly so that I didn't have to yell. But I lost control. And the next morning, the same routine. And the next morning, the same routine. And the next morning, the same routine. Because anger is an emotion that we all can experience, but sometimes it gets out of control. Now, the other way I know that it's not good, besides feeling bad myself, is the Bible tells us it's not. In Ephesians 4, 26 and 27, it says, Don't sin by letting anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry, for anger gives a foothold to the devil. We already know that God doesn't like sin because it distances us from him. We saw that with the city of Nineveh. But when we're angry, we're sinful. Because what we're doing is not drawing us closer to God. Some of you may not have anger as one of your struggles. And that's a good thing. That's a really good thing. Some of you may occasionally have little bouts of anger. And for some of you, anger might be a constant companion. And it's a continuous struggle. And that's okay. We're not finished products. But here's the deal. It's not okay to continue when we know it's wrong. So let's take a look at what some of our human selfish anger looks like. While God's anger is slow... Our anger is selfish. The anger that arose because my kids were not getting out the door was not because they necessarily were doing anything wrong. To some degree, yes. They have to have routines. They have to understand structure, all of that. I get it. But they're being kids. The anger is me. It's selfish. What I wanted was for things to go smoothly to get them out the door, and it didn't happen. So my response was, I got angry. That was my choice. That was my way of dealing with it. Because I wasn't getting what I wanted, which was smooth and out the door, I was angry. We often get offended when other people make us mad. But what do we tell our children? If my kids are in a fight and they come downstairs and they say, Mom, so and 
so-and-so made me so angry because they were blah, 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 blah. You can fill in the blanks. What's my response to them? They don't make you angry, right? They don't make you hit them. They don't get inside your brain and your little body and go, I'm going to make you so angry, hit him, poof. It doesn't happen. We tell our children, you are in control of you. Your sister, your brother does not make you angry. Your sister, your brother does not make you hit them. Your sister, your brother does not make you be mean. You decide. Don't do it. But yet, why is it when we tell our kids that as adults, it no longer applies to us? Why is it suddenly okay for us to be made angry by somebody else? (sighs) Darn it. It's a stinger, I know. I understand personally. In all honesty, we're not the victims. Other people may do things, but we're not the victim. We choose how to respond. We choose if we're going to get angry or if we're going to find some other way to deal with it. Because here's the deal. Anger itself is not sinful or bad. Anger is an indication that something is wrong and we need to deal with it somehow. When anger becomes sinful is how we use anger. And in our selfishness to get whatever it is we want on the inside, when we react out of anger, that's when it becomes sinful. We can go anywhere from mild irritation to full-out rage with our response. And if it's not used in a loving way, if it's not meant to draw us closer to God, then it's sinful. It's pushing us away from God. And here's the deal. And those of you that struggle with anger know this. It's addictive. It's an escalating emotion. When we're angry, and we continue to get angry, and we continue to get angry, and we continue, we continue, we continue, it builds until it becomes the norm. And then we no longer have control of it. It gets easier and easier for the devil to have a foothold because we're using it in a way that's hurtful or harmful. And let me tell you, the devil's number one job is this, to get a foothold and to do anything possible to separate us away from God. And so if he can get in there and work that anger every time we do it, every time we escalate, every time it gets more and more intense, it pushes us further and further away from God. And the devil has effectively done his job. We're not to let anger get a foothold. Here's the second thing. Uncontrolled anger allows us to think of using anger for instant gratification. So not only is it selfish, but we use it for our instant gratification. Because we build and we build and we build and we need to release it somehow... We think that anger is going to get done, what we want done selfishly. My yelling at my kids to get out the door is to get them out the door because I want them to get on the school bus so I can go sit inside and have my coffee and relax. Thank you. But my method of doing that is hurtful 
and harmful. And in fact, this is what Proverbs tells us about angry people in 29.22. It says, an angry person starts fights. A hot-tempered person commits all kinds of sins. And if you think about that, it's true. It's true just flat out because the Bible tells us it. But if you think about it in your own experience, it's true. When you're angry about something, how much easier is it for you to pick a fight? Let me tell you this. I was working on my message, and my kids got home from school. And I said, all right, you guys, I'm working on my message. I need to wrap this up. You need to go somewhere and be quiet. And they did. It was amazing. I was like, oh. But I was too busy trying to write my message, so I didn't get to the all part. So they disappeared. Two of them disappeared. It's quiet. Third child comes home, walks in, same thing. Hey, Mom, what are you doing? I said, great, thanks. I'm working on my message. I needed to be quiet. Go upstairs, go downstairs, either one. Please be quiet. So I now have three children in my household that are somewhere in the house being quiet. (laughs) I know what you're thinking, but that's not where I'm going. The fourth child, sometimes known as my husband, walks home. (laughs) He comes in, and he had lovingly called me and said, what are we doing for dinner? To which I unkindly responded, whatever you do, I don't care. He walks in, and he has pizzas to cook. So yay, good for him. And I say to him, I'm working on a message. I'm wrapping it up. I need it to be quiet. His understanding and the children's understanding were on different levels this day. Somehow that transputed into being... Pick up the counter. Look from me. Uh, Maybe the dishes. And finally I said, okay, seriously, I need it quiet. To which he looks at me and goes, can I feed the children? (laughs) And honestly, this is what I said. If it involves a stove and no more noise. And it's funny In the moment, it wasn't funny for him. It wasn't funny for him because I was being short and I was being irritable and I was being probably some other things that wouldn't be appropriate for church. But in that moment, it wasn't flat-out anger, raging. It was anger that was quiet and simmering. And it was coming out on him. Because here's the truth of the matter. You can stuff it and you can explode But either way, it's going to come out somehow. And it doesn't just affect those around you. It affects you as well. So I was picking fights. I was being irritable. And here's what Andy Stanley, another pastor, has to say about anger. He says, anger is the result of not getting what we want. Anger is the result of not getting what we want. Which was exactly what happened to me. I wanted quiet, like dead, silent, quiet. And I wasn't getting it. And what he was doing was not out of the realm of what should be allowed to do, but because I was angry and irritable, it was too much. It's kind of like, it's kind of like Emmett. And Emmett is my husband's hedgehog that we had when we were first married. Oh, yeah, that's the response. Oh, he's so cute. And he 
is. And when you look at him like this, it is. Now, this is not Emmett. This is not Emmett. This is just a picture. Um, Emmett, when we had Emmett, was during the time of, like, taking your film into the store and actually getting it processed and getting it back, which means it's in a box buried somewhere, which I was not going to dig out. So this is another hedgehog, but it looks just like Emmett. So Emmett's all sweet and cute, and he had him in an aquarium, and Emmett would run around in his aquarium, and he would play. And Paul would come home, and he would scoop him up, you know, and rub his little belly because it's all soft and cute. And then he'd put him on the ground, and he'd follow Paul around the house. Emmett's so cute. But he's not really. Because Emmett didn't like me. You see, every time I went to pick up Emmett, they do this thing, it's a self-preservation thing, where they curl up into a tiny little ball and get as much covered as they can. You can just see his little nose sticking out. Oh! But what you notice there are there's all these little pokey quills. And with a hedgehog, they don't lay flat in one direction. They go like all different directions like this. So that effectively, every time I went to reach and pick up Emmett, he curled up into a ball and put all of his pokey spines out. And then he would hiss at me. And if I still tried to pick him up underneath, because Paul could do that, if I tried to pick him up underneath, he would jump at me. Which meant that every time he jumped at me, his little pokey spines on the back went right into my hands. Every single time I tried to pick up this cute little stinker. Wasn't happening. But here's the deal. Our anger is like Emmett sometimes. We curl up and we get defensive. And then if people start coming around us while we're irritable or we're cranky or we're being cynical or sarcastic, we start jumping a little bit and we hiss a little bit so that they don't come any closer. And so effectively what we're doing is we're pushing people away from us because of our anger instead of letting them in where we could get extra love and extra attention, we push them away. Here's the other thing. Anger is scientifically proven to hurt us on the inside just as much as it hurts people on the outside. Scientifically proven that when we live a life that has anger constantly in it, it can cause heart problems, it can cause digestive problems. It can um, create sleeplessness. It can weaken our immune system. It can cause troubled relationships. It can cause depression. It causes all kinds of things. And that's just to us because it's inside of us. It doesn't include what we spew out onto other people. And it creates other emotions inside of us that go along with it. Guilt, shame, jealousy maybe, resentment. All these other negative emotions start swirling around with it inside and it makes us more and more and more angry because we're not dealing with it. Mark Twain says that anger is an acid that can do more harm to the vessel in which it is stored than to anything on which it is poured. Anger can do more damage to the vessel in which it is stored than on anything on which it is poured. The release of anger can feel good for us sometimes. It creates a sense of being in control, which is the other part of our human side of anger, is we want to be in control. But when we use this, when we use anger selfishly, 
And when anger is used for us to get instant gratification and change, if that doesn't work, we want to be in control. Being in control means that I want things done my way, and if it's not done my way, then there's going to be an outcome. And if we use anger, what it does is it continuously hurts and continuously pushes us away from people and continuously creates more and more of a barrier until we're left alone to deal with all of the acid that's inside of ourself and we feel like there is no hope. And let me tell you, friends, that is not a good place to be. I told you from the beginning I've struggled with anger, and it's been a lifelong journey for me. Now, I've not always wielded knives and thrown them at my sister. But I've gone through different seasons of different intensities of anger. And even if it's mild anger, it hurts us. And let me tell you, the more and more and more we escalate with anger, the more and more damage it does inside. And when we get to that point where we're dealing with all of that inside, we feel like we're in a place where it's not possible for God to love us. And I'm here to tell you that's a lie. Because we feel unlovable does not mean we are not lovable. God's sole purpose is to love us and to draw us closer to him, which is why his anger is righteous, which is why his anger changes our heart and which is why his anger is done out of love, to draw us closer. Ours does the exact opposite. And so when we get to that place of feeling hopeless, what we have to realize is it's a lie from the enemy, and it's not true. There is always hope. Just like there was for the city of Nineveh, who was to be destroyed, there is always hope. So the Bible gives us a little bit of guidance and direction to how we can kind of start changing this. Because if you struggle with anger, you know this is not a fix that's going to happen tomorrow. You know that this may be something that you've been working on for years, and it doesn't seem like it's getting any better. Or maybe it gets better and then it gets worse again. But with God's help, we can make steps towards him, which is ultimately what he wants. In the book of James, we get this direction and guidance, because that's kind of the person I am. I want to know what to do, how to fix it, how to change. And we don't always get those answers, but this is some good guidelines for us to get a start. It says, understand this, my dear brothers and sisters. You must all be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. Human anger does not produce righteousness God desires. What seems is very simple advice is not necessarily the case. Be quick to listen and slow to speak. When you're angry, it's hard. Basically, shut your mouth. It's hard because we want to spew. Be slow to get angry. Because a lot of times when we're irritated and we're just dealing with that inside, the injustices that we perceive may not be as serious as they actually are. It may be that we're so prickly and pokey right now that anything that comes against us makes it seem so much worse than it actually is. 
Be slow to speak, slow to get angry, and quick to listen. Because what is often seen as helpful from our human perspective of anger and getting things done and doing it my way is actually temporary and false change. The reason that my kids keep having this delay of getting ready every morning is because what I have done to try to help them has not been helpful. I've done it out of anger. And you know what? They changed just enough to stop me from being angry. But it wasn't a heart change like God is after. So I want to give us a few quick practical steps at the end here. These are not all-inclusive. And let me just tell you, if you seriously struggle with anger, or if you're in a season of just feeling like you're black as can be on the inside right now, these are first steps. But it opens us up to what God wants to speak into our lives. The first thing is you need to name and acknowledge your type of anger. Because until we acknowledge that we have anger of any kind, we can't deal with it. We have to name it and acknowledge that we have it, whether it's passive, passive-aggressive, whether it's a rage, whether it's volatile, whatever it is. Because I can guarantee you, sitting here right now, if we looked around this room, we don't know who has an issue of anger inside of them. I'm guessing most of you would probably not have guessed I deal with anger at times. But the truth of the matter is we all deal with anger some level along the way. The more intense it is, the more we need to work on it. Whether we're constantly irritable, putting others down, being critical, criticizing, whatever it is, we have to acknowledge it. From there, we need to change our focus. We need to take the focus off of ourselves and our selfish desires, our want for instant change. We need to take it off of what seems to be so narrow and specific and open it up to God's perspective. Because when we take the focus off of ourself and put it onto God, we begin to see things that we did not see before. We begin to see how God is working, and we begin to trust that he is actually in control. Because if all we focus on is what makes us angry, it gets narrower and narrower and narrower, and we get madder and madder and madder, and pretty soon we're using impaired judgment. And it's only going to make the situation worse. We need to delay our anger. And this one's really hard. Especially if you get to that spot where it's just, it's there. We need to take a deep breath. And for those of you that struggle with anger more than once in a while, it may mean you need to take a walk. And if that's not enough, you need to take a day. And separate yourself away from whatever it is that caused you to be that angry. Give yourself some separation and delay your anger because sometimes we're overreacting because we're overworked, overstressed, have too much on our plate. Sometimes we're overreacting because we're pokey and we bump into somebody else that's maybe pokey. Because you know what? Everybody sitting next to you doesn't have all their stuff together either could be that there is maybe just a misunderstanding because of our perception of where we are. And we need to take a moment to work through that. Number four, we need to learn from it. We need to really look at what the root cause is of our anger and why we're getting upset over what we're not getting 
What is it that we ultimately want deep down that isn't happening, that's causing me to get irritable and angry? We need to work at what our triggers are. We need to try to find a place where when we respond, it's out of loving and kindness instead of out of punishment. And lastly, we need to pray. And then we need to pray some more. And this is often seen as the weakest thing that you could do. Like, it doesn't really matter. It's a throwaway. Tried everything else, and so I'm going to pray. Honestly, it's the first thing we should do. Because the ultimate source of power and the ultimate source of change is God and God alone. And when we take the focus off of ourself and put it on God, amazing things can happen. We need to pray for the other person. Because when we start praying for the other person it gets less and less and less easier to be angry at them. And we begin to see them as more and more of a human being that God loves, just like we are. When we pray, we need to ask God to show us ways that maybe we're wrong and how he wants us to respond, or how he wants us to maybe go and talk with that person and try to work on the situation, if it involves a person. Praying for wisdom opens us up to God, and it draws us closer to him so that we can get to understand him more and become more like him. Let me tell you this. If your anger is deep-rooted, or if it is entering that volatile rage level, if your anger is a constant companion, I would encourage you to talk to somebody. It can be as simple as talking to a family member or a friend that you trust, to be honest with you, because even though you think you're hiding it if you're a stuffer, those around you still know. And if you're an exploder, those around you know, right? Talk to somebody. And if it's seriously enough that talking to a family member isn't enough, I encourage you to seek counseling. Because it is worth it to go through whatever is necessary in order for you to become healthy and not deal with anger as a constant companion. Because when anger is a constant companion inside of us, we die a little bit more each day. God desires for us to be whole and healthy and to enjoy a loving relationship with him. And in order for that to happen, we have to work on getting rid of our anger one step at a time. I'm going to have the band come up while I wrap this up. Anger is never pretty. Anger is an emotion that we don't like to claim. Anger is definitely an emotion that um, we don't ever want to say we have a problem with because it admits that we're weak and we can't do it. God wants to work with us. He wants to walk with us as we work on our anger. So whether it's mild irritability every once in a while or it's full-on volatile and rageful, God is with us. And for those of you that are feeling black inside and like God doesn't love you, he does. He says, you are my child. I take you no matter where you are if you open yourself up to me. So wherever you are today, 
I encourage you to let God in. It doesn't matter how icky it is inside. We're his child. And he loves us. Will you please play, pray with me? We can play when we're done. Father, anger, oh, anger. Something that can be funny in a movie, but in real life, something that's just downright ugly. Father, wherever we're at on the scale with our anger, you know, you know exactly where we are. And so I pray that you would meet us exactly in that place. I pray that you would give us the courage to open ourselves up to you and to say, God, this is what I have. Will you please help me? And Father, I thank you that you say yes. You are my child and that is enough. I will take you however you are and we will walk through this together. Father, I pray that you would help us to continuously look at our own anger and to analyze if it's hurtful, if it's from a heart that's not kind and loving, Father. If we're being selfish, if we're doing things for instant gratification, Father, whatever our case for using our anger, if it's not meant to draw people closer to you, I pray that you would help us to work on it, to begin getting rid of it and giving it over to you. Father, I pray for the conversations that need to happen with people, that they would be brave and take that next step. We pray, Father, that you would just walk with us because you are kind and loving and merciful. We do not get what we deserve. We do not get pushed away from you for being pokey. You draw us close and help us to put our spines down. Father, thank you for loving us. Thank you so much for loving us just where we are and helping us to become better one step at a time. We just pray all these things in your son's name. Amen.